Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Health Talk. I am your host, Dr. Niru Prasad, with my background in pediatrics and emergency medicine, affiliated with Henry Ford Health System, St. Joe, Oakland, and Beaumont. The theme of our health talk today is very interesting. And the, and the, and the topic today is the criminal law attorneys and what they do when they do in, come into the picture of the law field. Joining us today, my guest speaker is Anjali Prasad. And, and she is a criminal defense attorney. She also is the owner of Prasad Legal and former federal prosecutor. And we are very privileged to have her since she will give us some, some background about what is law, what is the practice of law, and when, when they enter into the picture. Good morning, Anjali, and welcome to my show. Dr. Prasad, good morning to you. And I'm very privileged to have you because you are going to, you are here today to discuss some of your practice in healthcare fraud. Yes. So before we get started, please make me orient, get me oriented and our viewers, what is healthcare fraud? Okay, sure. Well, I'm a, I'm a federal criminal defense attorney and the bulk of my practice involves healthcare fraud. And healthcare fraud is basically an allegation that the government brings, the federal government or the state government, against healthcare providers. Um, it generally involves how the healthcare providers are billing the insurance company. So, for example, the government might think that the healthcare provider is overbilling. I might, the patient might come in for one procedure, and the healthcare provider is being accused or charged with overbilling, billing for a different procedure, or frequently the government charges healthcare providers with billing what we call fake patients, patients that don't even exist. Okay. So this so, gives rise to healthcare fraud so, charges. So that's good, Anjali. Before we talk, go further, can you please give your in introduction to our viewers? You have such an extensive CV <laughs> that I, I just want you to make it briefly, let the let the, our community know about, uh, about your background. Okay, sure. I grew up here in Michigan. I went to Emory Law School, University of Michigan and Emory Law School in Atlanta. And I took a job as a, pro a criminal prosecutor, actually, with the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office. And then I came back home to take a job with the United States Attorney's Office, the Federal Prosecutor's Office. So in total, I have about... 15 years of prosecutorial experience, experience as a prosecutor. Yeah. And then I left, I started my own firm. It's called Prasad Legal. It's here in Bloomfield Hills, and I'm mostly focused on federal criminal defense. That is very good. This is excellent. So now, now, question number two. If the healthcare provider is not billing correctly, how does the government get involved? Okay. So what happens is the insurance company basically has a standard where the healthcare provider should be. What codes are being used, how many times they are being billed, et cetera. So if the healthcare provider is kind of outside of the standard, boom, the government gets involved and starts investigating. 
And um, sometimes if I'm hired kind of in the beginning of the investigation, we can ward off criminal charges. Sometimes the criminal charges get levied and I come in after they're levied and we end up negotiating a resolution with the federal government. Either we go to trial if we are wrongly accused of the allegations or uh, you know, sometimes the healthcare provider does admit that there was some discrepancies in the billing, so we negotiate a deal that fits the conduct. So tell me one thing, because I'm not so, you know, I'm not used to this law field. When the client comes to your office, how do you handle them? What do you do initially? What do they, what do they expect from you first visit? Well, that's a good question. The client is always angry because nine times out of 10, the federal government has got it wrong. For whatever reason, they think the client has done wrong, but in fact, the client has not done wrong. It's okay. just um, administrative problems or maybe somebody somewhere wasn't dotting their I's and crossing their T's. But most of the time, the uh, allegations don't fit what happened. So the client's angry right. and they basically need somebody like me to go to court and take on the federal government and say, hey, you got this wrong. This is what actually happened. Okay, so, so that is right. So you basically you pacify them, you get all the informations you can from them, right? Yes. And then you get involved with the further legal procedures, right? Yes, and by information, it's not just the healthcare provider, but usually the healthcare provider works for an organization that has a staff. There's always a billing a component to that right. staff, whether yeah. they have an in-house biller or an independent biller. So it takes a lot of um, prep work to get into the organization and kind of figure out what the problems are and where the discrepancies are. Oh. So, so basically, you, you must be doing a very thorough study of the whole situation, right? right? Yes, and I was yeah. a former federal prosecutor, so, so you know, I kind of so know the, the you inside. You have a double at one, federal court prosecutor, and now this end. I do. So you know a little bit of both there and, and this end, yes. and that's okay. So now the other question is, is this, uh, is, when you enter the picture as attorney. Okay. The best time for me to enter the picture yes. as an attorney is before any trouble has even happened. For example, if the healthcare provider has um, an operation that involves a staff and billing, etc., if that person's in charge, they the best time for me to get involved is they would hire me to get into the organization and make sure the billing codes are properly being administered. The staff is well aware of the policy. There's um, policy manuals in place that people fo that people follow. So basically, I get hired to kind of um, I'm preemptive against any problems. Okay. Now that doesn't always happen. Right. Sometimes. Yes or no. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. There's always. Yes or no? Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. So sometimes, um, well, for whatever reason, the healthcare provider didn't have anybody conduct um, an internal audit or analysis of their of their facility and their practice, and 
uh, now they're on the radar for potentially fraud. So then um, that's the next time I <laughs> will get hired the, is kind of yes, when, yeah. um, when they're already in the fire and the right. government's saying, hey, you did something wrong. Okay. So then you come to me and I kind of I unpack the problem and I right. get it resolved. When they come to you, you expect that they're telling you the truth. I do expect that they're telling me the truth, yeah. and there's no reason not to tell me the truth because, because yeah. you might not know this because it's not your field, but, but the, anything a client tells me yeah. is protected by attorney-client privilege. So they can say, I did it, or I didn't do it, or the truth is halfway in the middle. Whatever they tell me is 100% protected. So it's not a matter of... Um, trying to convince me to be the best lawyer for them, I'm already on their side, and right. I can best represent them if they are truthful. And there's no downside to being truthful with your attorney. Right, and not only that, then the federal prosecutor, they have all the information anyway, because they are the government people, right? This is so you very just have, true. You are just meeting, you are meeting a big challenge <laughs> it's um, how it's do you very, face those challenges? It's very difficult to take on the federal government. Exactly. Now, I represented the federal government for a very long time. Right. So yeah. that gives me a, a kind of an advantage when I'm walking into court because I kind of I was inside the federal government, so I know the strategies and how they think and how they put together a case. So I think that's why a lot of people end up hiring me. Yeah, the strategies you know already. Yes. And you know exactly who stands where. Right. Where is federal government and there you are fighting against them. So, so it has to be a good cooperation, right? Yes. The... Um, the relationship between the client and the attorney has to be very, very tight. Right. And there should be no. Uh, I tell people I uh, I tell people all the time to hire who their gut tells them to hire because at the end of the day you you put your life in my hands. Exactly. So exactly. you have to feel. Yeah. You have to feel the connection with your attorney. That is very true. But suppose I am I am the doctor and I'm being convicted, you know, I did this wrong. Not that I have done any so far with my clinical practice of medicine, I can say safely no complaints against me, no charges. But if suppose if I get involved, then then how do I reach you? Do I reach the federal people first before I reach you, or do I hire you as a as a pro? Okay, Which actually, one comes yes, first? no, yeah. that's a great question. Please yeah. do not contact the federal government if you think okay. you are if under I'm... investigation. If okay. if you think you've done something wrong, if you've gotten a letter that says you've done something wrong, if investigators come knocking on your door okay. and say, "Hey, we want to talk to you," no, you do not hire do the federal not. government. Okay. Come to me, and I will give you a courtesy consultation, exactly. and I will tell you exactly what your options are, and sure. um, yeah. and then we'll go from there. Good, because I will still keep seeing the patient. I will be very careful that I don't make any mistake with anybody, but then 
I know that for moral support, I have a lawyer. Yes, and that it, you yes. will be. That you will be. <laughs> yes, and right. it's not a bad idea to have a lawyer while mm -hmm. you're practicing. Just right. a go-to person who can you can run your issues by, mm -hmm. and um, and just have kind of an independent person say, "This is good. This is bad. This is in the middle." Right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, during my all this year of clinical practice, I always did it. I always work in the major hospitals. Yes. Henry Ford, St. Joe, Bowman, practice emergency medicine, my own, uh, my own thing. And so far as I remember, I never did get involved with anybody, any particular patient, except for one in the emergency room I, at a... I saw him, you know, just for a regular checkup and pain medication because of pain all over. And then I kept on, he kept on coming back to me two, three times, wanted more prescription, opioid and this and that. So that was a very dilemma for him. I stopped getting anything to him and I said, you just go and see your own doctor. I'm not, I don't want to give you, I cannot give you anymore because my license, even yes. though I have a DEA, I just don't want to use my license for those. So finally, you know, he disappeared, never came back to me. Well, that might have been the best professional decision you've ever made. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned prescription opioids because yeah, that's because another... I'm coming to it, yeah. Yeah, that's another large part of yeah. my practice. Um, <clears throat> opioids. I have a list of all the medication for you. Yes, and um, uh, healthcare providers are often charged with overprescribing or prescribing opioids that are not right. essential. So that's another... 50% of healthcare fraud is billing. Billing. And 50% is um, opioid prescriptions. Okay, billing and uh, and the opioid. Yes. Right, yeah. And this is all, then everybody, these days, you know, everybody is getting so strict. Even our, even as a physicians, our license, getting our license renewed is not an easy job for me. No, it's not. <laughs> Before it used to be so easy. Not anymore, you know, class one drug, class two, yes. class three. So yes. it, it, it becomes, it's a big hazard. So Anjali, I have a list of certain prescription pills that has been used when I worked at the emergency room at a major hospital or even the urgent care setup. Because, you know, I work both urgent care, emergency room, plus my own practice. Yes. So. Opioid is one of them, and then Michigan Automated Prescription System. Opioid becomes number one in all this, and now fentanyl. Fentanyl-laced yes. drug, and so tell me about this. Can you explain about, use of, about the use of opioid and how regulated it is? Well, you mentioned the Michigan Automated Prescription System, right. that's MAPS. And um, yeah. probably in the beginning of your career, MAPS was not an available tool no, it for healthcare providers. No, but no. the good news is it's a great tool for healthcare providers. Okay. And what MAPS is, is um, the state of Michigan keeps a record of what prescriptions are being prescribed to the patients. So well, different. 
different pediatrician, different clinician, right? Not just one. Yes. Yeah, so, for example, let's assume I'm the patient, and let's assume I go to ten different healthcare providers. Right. My back hurts. My foot hurts. My I, I don't know, my head hurts. I have a bunch of issues and I go to a bunch of different healthcare providers and every healthcare provider prescribes an, a, a, a narcotic for me, an opioid. Right. Well, the state of Michigan, thankfully, keeps track of who is prescribing me what. From where? Yes. Okay. So from a healthcare provider's perspective, it's very important that before they prescribe me the narcotic, they pull my maps and they see who else is prescribing me okay. what. Okay. Um, and that's kind of a, an easy safeguard for healthcare providers that they don't usually, or they don't often take advantage of. Okay, so in that case, I ran, I, I ran into an emergency situation. Kid come, he uh, comes with a severe, severe back pain. Basically, it was a toothache. You know how bad that could be. Yes. I, so I prescribed him some codeine and all those. He went to pharmacy downstairs, and the pharmacy said, Dr. Prasad, no, no more prescription for him. So that was a very difficult situation for me. So what I did, you know, in that situation, correct me if I am wrong, I just prescribed him like four, four pills, and I told the pharmacy, please just keep him keep him, you know, pain-free during the night. And yes. the next day he will meet his his regular physician. Did I do it right or did I not do it right? I'm sure you've done everything right. Let me just say that. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, no, you, no, no, you criticize and you correct me. So in future, I won't be making any mistake like well, that. Well, in general, the fewer amount of pills you can issue to the patient the right. better and the less in strength the better in general now i have i represent a lot of individuals healthcare providers who work in pain care centers pain right. care clinics yeah. where that is another patients come in and the pain is overwhelming so they are eligible candidates for yeah. very very strong narcotics yeah, yeah. um the best safeguard against those kind of practices yeah. is to check what has been prescribed recently, check okay. the MAP system, okay. and kind of make sure, do an internal check and make sure you're not making any any mistakes with the over-prescribing. Right, yeah. And that's another thing that I might do if you hire me to kind of evaluate your practice, right, yeah. I would pull the maps and I would talk to um, the healthcare providers, often it's multiple healthcare providers, right. and we'd get a, a target of what is acceptable in terms of prescriptions and what is an outlier. Right, yeah, because you know, things have changed now. It's not just opioid, it is fentanyl, it is so many things. Yes. And uh, even though I have, uh, you know, I can prescribe anything, Still, I'm very, very careful. As I think every yeah. everybody should be. Right. Yeah. But see, yeah. during the night time, when they are at emergency room, there's not too much you can do. You cannot call their private physicians. Yeah. You cannot call. The only thing that I have is, uh, what will I do at the emergency room for them? Like, you know, give them, a, give them an injection of Toradol or something, relieve them. But right. 
The only good thing that we have is this what pharmacy. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so. which is the pharmacy acts as another internal check right. on the prescriptions. But I must tell you that pharmacists also are very much targeted by the federal government, and a lot of my clients exactly. are pharmacists who are, um, you know, being charged with dispensing the prescriptions exactly. improperly. Yeah. So even the pharmacists. Yes. Are are under you. <laughs> yes. So you have a lot of targets to work with. You have a very difficult job. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. When you think of healthcare fraud, you assume that it's um, just doctors. But my clients include, like I said, pharmacists. Physical therapists. Physical therapists, heavy, heavy practice for physical therapists, right. nurses, yeah. nurse practitioners. I mean, yeah. Uh, everybody, I forgot about the nurse practitioner. Yeah. They are another big target, right? They are target. because they have prescription privileges. So a lot of, um, well, I'll say this, the federal government doesn't discriminate against you for your profession. They're going to look at your prescription practices okay. and whether you're a doctor, nurse practitioner, physical therapist, what have you, they're they're going to investigate you, and if they think you're an outlier, they will come knocking on they your door. Come back. But you know, in when I practice during my practice, the clinical nurse practitioners they didn't have any right to prescribe this medication. Slowly mm, and yes. gradually, the government became more right. lenient to them. Yeah. Yes. Over time, pres the ability to prescribe has been broadened. Has yes, been broadened. Yes. That's yes. what I mean to yeah. say. Because now they can do everything. And I remember even working at the emergency room, I'm the senior staff. There are a lot of PAs working with me. At the end of the shift, I have to go through their chart and sign. Yes, and I'm actually glad you mentioned that yeah, because I have, yes, this, yeah. I have, a, I represent a lot of healthcare providers, physicians right. who oversee. PAs and NPs. Exactly. And so the PA or the NP might make the recommendation for the prescription, and the physician comes in and signs it off on signs, it. But yeah. that physician is 100% accountable for the decisions of the PAs and the NPs. Okay. So you yeah. can see how there's a lot of room for um, uh, for things to slip through the cracks because right. the physician might not be the person evaluating the patient. It might be the NP who recommends that something gets prescribed, and right. then the physician signs off on the prescription. And the, the clinical nurse practitioner, she will bring that, she will put, put the prescription in. And yes. Since yes. you said now they have become more liberal about about them using the using those medications. Yes. So that's very good. Yeah, they check them before issuing. So as a so. As a lawyer, you have to be very, very careful, right? Yes, you yeah. have to be. You want to yeah. hire somebody who's extremely meticulous right. and who knows the laws very, yeah. very well. Would you like to share any any of your experience, interesting <laughs> ones, so we can, you know, be well? Um, let me think. I've had. Uh, I've had too many healthcare fraud cases to even quantify, but exactly. I can tell you that um, the trials are very difficult. Yes. They are winnable nine times out of ten, yeah. but they are very, very hard on the client and the client's family. So um, if you if you decide to go to trial, you better 
know in your heart of hearts that you're completely innocent because the government has a magnificent way of taking very, very small yeah. discrepancies in your practice and blowing them up to make it seem like you're the criminal of the century. Right, right. So, so as, a, as a criminal defense lawyer, when you are in the court, you had to be very, very careful, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what is the most uh, pathetic situation that you had, you know, in your life, you know, like you were defensing somebody and the guy, they were found guilty and then... Well... That is, must be emotional torture for you also, right? Yeah, the guilty verdicts yeah, the are guilty very, verdicts, very yeah. difficult because they're never expected. Right. There's two ways to resolve a criminal case. Right. The person can plead guilty... Okay. Um, assuming they are guilty or have some guilt, right. and a negotiate, you can negotiate the sentence. Sometimes you plead guilty, and the government agrees to put you on probation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they might agree to a fine. Well, Sometimes yeah. you you might have to you know agree to go to prison for a very short spend amount of time. Some time yeah. in the prison, yeah. and then you right. Then you you try. You have more time that way, right? Right. But if you don't want to plead guilty and you believe the facts are on your side, you have to go to trial. Right. Um, and the saddest cases are, uh, you know, the individuals who go to trial and they get that guilty verdict at the end. Yeah, and that is I can't be. tell you how many times people have said, oh, I should have pled guilty. But um, the decision right, is personal. Yeah, yeah. It should be based on discussions with you and your family and your attorney and... Um, Must be a real guilty, a real emotional situation for you, you know, being the criminal lawyer and defending and then see them going. Well, it is very hard on me, which is why I, I keep my volume low. A lot right. of criminal defense attorneys, you'll call them and they'll hire you and boom, you're one on, of, uh, you know, hundreds of clients. But I keep my volume very low for a reason and that's so I can be accessible to the client right. and, um, you know, give the client the best representation that they deserve. So, Anjali, last question, last one minute wrap up of your talk. What would you advise? What is your final advice to our listeners? Okay, one minute wrap up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well... First, I would say don't wait until you're the target of a federal indictment. Oh, okay. If you are a practicing physician or healthcare provider right. and um, you don't have anybody who's kind of doing an, an independent audit of your practice, please call me and we'll put together a plan. Okay. Now, if you are indicted and you need representation, please call me and we'll put together a strategy. <laughs> either, way, either way, call Anjali. Yeah, the you can, legal, you can right. reach me on my website. Right. It's so w how, can, how can my audience, whoever is listening today and more, contact you if they have more questions? Yes, I'm very easy to find. Google Anjali Prasad or check out my website, which is prasadlegal.com. Got you, got you. Hopefully, I won't need you. <laughs> Hopefully, because, you know, I'm a sincere medical sincere practicing medicine for all these years in my life but i can always refer refer you to the, my other colleagues who, who are in trouble well right? dr prasad i know you <laughs> yeah, won't need yeah. me but you can call me for a cup of coffee all right cup of coffee so i'd like to thank you as as my guest speaker anjali 
criminal law attorney. I'd like to thank our viewers for watching me today on this interesting health talk. Thank you, Dr. And, Prasad. And I'd like to thank our producer and camera people. And until I see you again, I want ex I expect everybody to have a wonderful holiday season. Thank, thank you. you. Okay. Thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you.